Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. I know that we're in imminent peril and probably everyone's going to die. Mm-hmm. But have you thought about your career and like where you want to go with it? Like you're kind of falling a bit behind just this in a trajectory. Seem like the time. Yeah. I just don't feel like I can look forward to the next five to 10 oh. years when I don't know oh. if we're going to be around as a civilization. Hold on. We're getting shot at by. Oh, oh, we're we're getting assimilated. OK, but all but right. We'll see take yourself a yeah. in 20 seconds. <laughs> Actually, Jake, I was wondering that because I was hoping that I could, you know, do the intros and outros of the podcast. And um, you say know what's what? coming up next week? She's already doing it and doing it better. Wow. OK. <laughs> uh, I mean, I just don't think I'm ready to leave yet. I don't know why I'm staying here. Man, this is a real crisis I have to think about now. Um, can yep. we have like three hours? Oh, uh, sorry. We've got about a minute before uh, all life ceases hmm. to exist. Well, I'm just yeah. going to put my feet up and think more. Cool. About my career. You know, take your time. What a confoundingly good episode this It time. was really good. <laughs> it's like a different show started and took the elements and cast of a previous show yes there's such a like huge like dramatic plot line but then we're talking about something that's very important which is like a career choice which also yeah. is a main plot line of the show yeah such an interesting thing that they've still made interesting right that's right it's the best of both worlds part one <laughs> you know people still squabbled when the titanic sank that's true <laughs> That is what made it a interesting movie with the squabbles. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're still looking for a dinner roll. You're still, you know, upset that you didn't get the dance with the girl under decks the night before. There was a dinner roll subplot in the Titanic? Just... Wait, not in the movie, but on the show. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, statistically, yeah. someone was upset there about the dinner roll. I'm always fighting for dinner rolls. And it's just rolling down the ship because it's at a slant as they sink. <laughs> <laughs> what the a best, conundrum the best plan just sit at the bottom with your mouth open yeah there it is <laughs> that's right as Xander said it's the best of both worlds the Borg capture Captain Picard and turn him into one of their own well notably uh, in the title of the episode we get part one in there uh, which is to signify something that we hadn't seen before I think so actually so I was looking at this as we watched it in the title of the episode that comes up on the screen it just says the best of both worlds but I think is it like in Netflix and Amazon how they've listed it oh yeah maybe that's why yeah so it is like a spoiler I guess but you also know we know there's three more seasons like (laughs) we know things are gonna happen it's not the end of these worlds Right. It's not spoilers at this point. Right, right. Yeah. We're past spoilers 20 years ago. In 1990 or 1991, whenever this aired, holy moly, what a cliffhanger this was going to be for a lot of people. Did shows do this? Cliffhangers? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Between seasons? I mean, that's the best time to do them because you want the network to come back. To have fans knocking at their door about getting the next season, right? Well, we know this now. Well, yeah, that's true. 
Or did they know it then? No, I think taking that into consideration, I mean, I'm fast forwarding to the end, but we have this meta knowledge as an audience. We've already seen Beverly Crusher replaced as like a cast member. And so at the end of this, the big question was, okay, there's this clear out for Picard. There's a clear promotional bump for Frakes as Riker. And then at the introduction of this new actress, this could be a whole new Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there was a lot of potential there for this is just rebooting this cast. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, what is this new doctor you're talking about? Dr. Catherine Pulaski. This is Erasure and I will not have it. (laughs) Pulaski's coming back? Or are you talking about the end of last season? What I'm saying saying is they've established that they can swap out characters if they want to. They can take cast members out and play god and they can't stop and they're not afraid we can't do tasha yar yeah tasha yar right and so like xander makes an excellent point of like this could be a logical exit for picard's character where he becomes either an antagonist or leaves the show and for Riker, who is a popular character to step into the captain's chair i think that's a really excellent point that everybody was probably like chomping at their nails about yeah (laughs) well especially there is no show without patrick stewart if patrick stewart was offered something better though like a major motion picture or whatever like why wouldn't he take that luckily he stuck with it <laughs> maybe or as a the Borg. power of the captain's chair is too strong yeah yeah exactly well let's talk about this for a second like about how this episode kind of came to be memory alpha has a lot of really great um uh, anecdotes about the behind the scenes of this i want to lead in with mm. what the producer Micro- michael pillar was saying about writing michael pillar was unsure of how this episode's two-parter would end when he first sat down to write the episode he began with the need for a season ending cliffhanger naturally the episode was designed to create anticipation for the return of the series the following season while the board had proven popular after the introduction in the second season episode q who the writers had struggled to bring them back noting the problem of writing for a race with no personality in fact michael pillar himself had tried throughout the star trek's third season to devise new story about the Borg. While several of the writing staff suggested creating a Queen Bee to act as a spokesperson, Pillar resisted these proposals. He commented, quote, to me there was something special and frightening about the Borg that their lack of a character brought. For a show that dwells and specializes in character to be challenged and possibly destroyed by the characterless villain seemed to me a special kind of threat. But when we started talking about the cliffhanger and the board, we really did talk about who was going to be the Queen Bee. It was Pillar who came up with the notion of this meeting of this requirement by having Picard Picard be assimilated. The writer recalled, it all just fell into place. I said, I've got it. Picard will be the queen bee. Wow. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> and he's right. Like the, the, the scariness of them not having a spokesperson and lacking character makes them such a uh, fierce antagonist. And I remember as a kid being so scared because I didn't understand them and we couldn't understand them and they could just choose not to be affected by phasers at some point. It's like, yeah. what do you do against this, this right. antagonist? It's it's terrifying. And so how can you have a proper queen bee, right? You can't you, the, nothing can really quite match that. And then this answer folds which is like someone we respect already mm. and don't want to lose is the queen bee. That makes total sense. I love it's it. It's also really tied into the story and they give it a justification that makes sense to me. Your civilization's hierarchical structure says you need an authority figure and you are you know, the greatest starship captain, therefore, will take you and you will speak for us because your people hear better from one voice. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's a surprisingly yeah. logical conclusion that I had not remembered because I remember Locutus of Borg. And then I'm like, why is he singled out as an individual when the whole thing is that they're a collective? Mm-hmm. But this rationalization totally makes sense, yeah. uh, especially because it's been noted that they've destroyed civilizations in the past, notably Guinans. Uh, and so they want to change their tactics based off of who they're going after. Uh, one more quick quote from Memory Alpha about this. Uh, to fill up the rest of the storyline, Pillar sought to maintain the human drama in all the spectacle, which is great. As a result, the story's central character shifted, in Pillar's opinion, from being Picard to Riker. Picard reveal, or, uh, Pillar revealed, We had no idea it was really a Riker story when we started out. I came up with the idea of having the Shelby character come on board to challenge Riker. That seemed to play into the Riker's emotions on the conflict over whether to take the other job or not. And that builds into the issue of whether or not he was big enough to fill the center chair. I just, I also love that this is like more Riker centric and Picard is very important this episode, but it's, it's more about his presence than actually him as a person, right? It's about mm-hmm. his role. Mm-hmm. And, and how great he is as a captain. <laughs> yeah. And Riker has these conversations with Troy about why don't I want it? What's wrong with me? Am I just comfortable? And, you know, hey, it's scary to be in the big boy chair. You can do the big decisions sometimes, but you never get away missions. And <laughs> it's kind of his favorite part. That's true. He actually gets shut down on that. It's such a bummer for him. But he's like, ah. Hoisted by my own Picard. Yeah, hoisted by my own Picard. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the whole thing of like we've we saw exactly this struggle with the younger season one Riker who came in and was like Picard, sit down. You're not going on away missions. It's me and my turn, and I am gonna screw everything. He was not horny on Maine at all. <laughs> and Shelby is totally a character that he would get horny on Maine for. But see, Riker's changed. Guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. It's true. This also reflects Michael Pillar's position, I think, also as a writer, because he only signed on for a, a certain contract and he was debating leaving the show. So he reflected a lot of that in the Riker character, which is an interesting parallel. Let's get into the plot of the episode uh, in general, though. The Enterprise is called to uh, a planet. Let's see. I got to learn these. I can't just call everybody John Doe. Uh, <laughs> Jorit 4. And it looks like the surface of the planet has just been like obliterated from like life. Like there's nothing there. Like, fact, there's scooped a, out. Yeah, there's a crazy crater it was a beautiful shot it well yeah the the map painting is amazing but you, we yeah. all are familiar with them uh an antagonist that scoops things out right and it, mm-hmm. we uh surmise it's probably the borg and so we're introduced to commander shelby or lieutenant commander shelby and uh an admiral as well admiral mm-hmm. hansen and they are mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you yeah uh, and Shelby's a noted specialist in forming the uh, Starfleet's defense against the Borg. And so she's been brought in as a consultant. And so we immediately already have like this power struggle, well, slight, very polite power struggle at first mm. uh, between Shelby and Riker. And mm-hmm. uh, hi, I'll be taking your job, please. Oh, <laughs> well, oh, even sorry. before that, what? like just coming in as a, like an expert, uh, she was already pushing his buttons. Mm-hmm. Like she knew something that he didn't. Yeah. And also, he, like, kind of doesn't really treat her with a huge amount of respect. He invites the Admiral to the poker game, and he's like, no, yeah. but Shelby's pretty good. And he, like, Riker's like, oh, well, of course, absolutely, you should come. It was a mm-hmm. weird moment of, like, a power thing that it was weird. Yeah, I feel like it's it's good. It's actually setting her up to uh, not just be an antagonist, but to just uh, 
not be respected at first and earned it. Yeah, and earned yeah. her respect. And by not only through the poker game, but also through interactions with the crew and such. Yeah. Yeah. A relic of early twentieth century gender norms. Yeah. I mean, there are women at this poker table already. Mm-hmm. Troy's right. there, mm-hmm. but uh wow. Really uh shade thrown when he didn't invite her off mm-hmm. the bat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. There's also uh, the futility of her position. She seems so hopeful that they can increase their defenses and have, you know, some sort of tactical advantage against the Borg and so impossible. Yeah. Never going to happen. It's it's weird watching this in like the hindsight view because the we know as the audience that the Borg is such a scary enemy, especially because like seasons later and Voyager and everything like that, it's like a huge deal. And so watching everybody just calmly deal with threats and things like that and walk around and like, "Oh, maybe if we try this." I'm like, could we put some hustle on it? Like, you guys are in a lot of danger. You should all kind of listen to Shelby. Like that time Worf's neck was broken and they casually walked yeah. over to the body in front of him. Yeah. You know, what I was thinking about was they've met greater forces before. They've met gods. They've met things that indifferently play with them like toys and could destroy them in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. But they are able to be reasoned with because those things have an individual consciousness mm-hmm. that is able to communicate with the individual consciousness of each person on the ship. Whereas with the Borg, they don't care. It's a ruthless destruction and an assimilation, of course, mm-hmm. a, a, that makes them a totally different category of enemy. They're not just like sociopaths, right, though? Like, they're like, they listen to what you say and they say that it's irrelevant. Right. Like, the, like it doesn't I, matter. we understand your concerns about death. It does not matter. You are, you do not understand. We will assimilate you. Like, resistance is, resistance is futile is such a great line to summarize their whole movement it's just like you can't stop us we don't, yeah. we don't we're not going to argue with you about it you're not going to we can't stop <laughs> <laughs> well now i just wish you... they were playing that all the time blasting <laughs> yeah. from their borg ship like it just becomes this terrifying <laughs> anthem that you start warp in the other direction when you hear that they're just shooting out subwoofers <laughs> all over their yeah. ship <laughs> <laughs> um uh no but now that you laid it out like that too becca it does very much reflect this Riker storyline of being comfortable because we've always been able to deal with every problem that's come across the enterprise with and if it comes down to weapons we've got the most powerful weapons that anybody else does you know what i mean like it's always been a solvable issue and and it's the same thing of Riker being comfortable in this position not taking the risks of of moving forward and even with these writers i think taking a huge risk on departing from the utopia that star trek next generation was pitched as you know what I mean? Like, this is a very intense storyline. 11 people died in engineering. Like, it's crazy that they're mm-hmm. going this dark with something that I'm sure they had to fight probably Roddenberry on. Yeah. I mean, as we said at the beginning, it feels like a different show in some regards. And you just really pinpointed why, because it's so combat heavy instead mm-hmm. of diplomacy heavy. Mm-hmm. Also, I did make a note that the music was incredible in this the episode. Music was so good. It provided a lot of great atmosphere mm-hmm. and was really well utilized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pacing of this episode was really great. When we first actually get to f- finally see the Borg in the middle of the episode and we see the ship and Picard asked to magnify it, the, the music kind of swells a little bit. And there's like this 
synth chorus, like a choral yeah. kind of feel that goes on yeah, that yeah, I yeah. never heard before. And is for vocals to be a part of the Borg sound, I was like, that's an interesting choice, but it really is haunting. It and it makes works. sense, though, yeah. as mm-hmm. if they were using humanish voices all at once as an instrument, like a, a hive would. Yeah, yeah. Well yeah, said. it's well said. so good. Yeah. It makes for some really great dubstep too. When yeah, put my voices together. I maintain like Borg would be the best DJs of the entire galaxy. Right, just group dancing. It's a flash mob mm-hmm. waiting to happen. <gasps> <laughs> and then mass. Uh, what is it? Assimilation. But whatever. <laughs> okay, now I really want to like hire choreographers, get everyone we know, get the costumes. What are we and doing? This is the slowest idea. Borg flash mob ever. It's like we're slowly detaching from our coupling units and like And you would have <gasps> to do thriller. It just has to <laughs> Okay, it can be a mashup. The thriller yeah. can come later. There's so many oh, thriller we can't stop. <laughs> Thank you. So anyway. anyway, so we learned that we aren't really intercepting the Borg. The Borg are intercepting us as they fly into Federation space, and they're heading right for the Enterprise. Oh, well, one thing before that, the reason why we know to go to them is another ship is just gone. Like, okay, yeah, there was a ship here. They said they saw a square ship, and now we're not getting any communication. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take six days for any ship except the Enterprise to get there. Picard... Like, this was just kind of taken for granted and just happened, but it stood out to me that Picard immediately was like, set coordinates, let's go. Yeah. Unafraid, this is why I'm here. Yeah. I can't back away. We just go. It's not a question. Right. They also mentioned that they were the only closest ones. The closest one was X amount of distance away that they're like, oh, you need to go now. You're the only ones that can go. But what can they do? I mean, it is so hopeless. Were I the captain, I would say, cool, we run. We run. The plan was to distract them. Like, he wasn't heading into direct confrontation Or rescue the other combat. ship if it was possible, right? Yeah, yeah, it was to distract them, at least to give time for the reinforcements to come. Also, before this, we get more of Shelby confronting Riker, including she goes on the away mission a little early to go investigate the planet. Yeah. Early bird gets the worm, right? Right. And it totally does not seem the time for a command squabble, because it's like... That's what's so interesting, right? It's like this plot doesn't feel like it should be here, but it works perfectly with what's going on. And we just don't see that until everything's threaded together. Right. But I like that they don't, they so often will make these guest stars that are antagonistic to a main character really unlikable. But I found her firm and harsh. And yeah, from Riker's point of view, you'd be annoyed. But everything she was saying was legitimate. And Mm -hmm. she is the same ranking as him, even though it's not her ship. And so she does have the authority to say, hey, I'd like you to tell the captain that I think we should separate the saucer. Great idea. Riker shoots it down. Why? Because it wasn't his idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he wants to be that advisor that presents all ideas, right? He doesn't want anybody going uh, through him in the chain of command. But you're right, Becca. Also, like, her, her, like, quote-unquote flaw is that she works too hard, right? She's like, we need to stay in this meeting and keep working. He's like, no, everybody needs rest. It's like, they both have fair points. But, you know, you're right. She's not an an annoying uh antagonist or her flaw isn't something that really we are graded by it's it's valid and helpful in the situation and a lot of the time she's right mm-hmm. the oh. argument was really interesting the way they phrased it the one you're talking about where she says okay well fine if everybody else needs rest 
I'll keep working with data. And he's like, no, you need rest. Because if we're going to be assimilated by the Borg, we shouldn't also be fighting our own fatigue. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a caring criticism. It's like this, this is kind of working. (laughs) But it just goes to show that they're, they're both valid points and it's two different styles of command. And that's why it doesn't work because you have too many cooks in this kitchen. It's kind of like, you know, the reformed partier that's now a married lady that's like, okay, but we do need to go to bed earlier than midnight. And it's like, I hate that I'm saying this because younger me would be disgusted. And that's Riker's struggle where he says, Okay, but now I feel like I'm I'm the dad. I'm the caretaker to this every person on this ship that I care intensely about. And so all of my decisions have to come from a place of safety versus seeing himself. As he says to Troy, he can see the younger him that was impulsive and was more daring. Mm-hmm. And part of him misses that, but that's not who he is anymore. Because is this the attitude of a first officer or is this the attitude of a captain? Oh. When he switched over, because you have these two personalities, he was supposed to be the reckless to Picard's calm, like, logic. Yeah. Now, if they're both calm, logical, and safe, nothing happens. Or we need a shell. So one of them has to be Borg. Yeah. (laughs) Or that. Yeah, that works. Or that. (laughs) Uh, We encounter the Borg. And uh, it... It goes as most boring encounters do, poorly. They lock onto a tractor beam and hold us in place and pretty much pummel us while we punch back ineffectively. Yeah, yeah. Shelby comes up with a solution, though, Mm -hmm. which is uh, switch up the frequency so fast they can't find it. And notably, she goes not through any command structure. She just goes up and says it. And to Data, who's probably someone who could do that quote-unquote manually, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, additionally, uh, as Xander mentioned, engineering gets hit pretty hard and is forced to evacuate. LeVar Burton, I think, really loves to Stunts. roll under this door. I think Stunts. we've seen it several times where he'll wait just long it. enough while he's ushering people out. And he's like, okay, I can do my roll. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now we got to go look for that. It's great. I love it. I'm sure someone's done a montage somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Jordy oh, Barrel roll. Just Gosh, I hope so. That's everything. Um, and then they run away into a nebulae field, right. yeah. which is this beautiful purple and pink sunset of space where they're, they can't be tracked exactly. They're just in this cloud. Yeah, nebulas have been used in Star Trek a few times to be like, all right, it's a fog. Interference. <laughs> we can yeah. just sit here for a minute and think about stuff. It's very convenient and also uh, provides them a second to recalibrate before they have to yeah go to the bar (laughs) oh man what an interesting scene so yeah let's go to that i loved it Mm -hmm. guinan anytime that she's just in the episode my note is just all caps guinan it's so good even just like her is just sitting in the shadows waiting for him it's just a great choice yep and then any patrick stewart Whoopi goldberg scene is just gold no matter what they say (laughs) he's telling her that he's touring the ship right and that's like a Tradition, and she she notes that well, that's a tradition for what was it, a hopeless scenario or something like that. Mm, uh, and yeah. he admits that he's scared, and she has this weird assurance for him, which is a really dark assurance that I'm surprised he didn't push back on. He's like, she says something about how if as long as there's some humans, humanity will continue. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone you know and you may die. <laughs> everyone right. that they know and their entire families may die. But if one little human. <laughs> Lives on in the universe. Yeah, a handful. That's hope, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
not 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 a great super uplifting message i don't think no, but i understand i guess talk. what she's trying to do she needs this to be good news because she is one of the last of, uh-huh. of her kind mm-hmm. yeah elorian mm-hmm. and again we we get an allusion to has she she's mentioned that she's that her civilization was destroyed by the borg too right it was that yep, in, and in, in this episode, episode where we too. meet mm-hmm. right i just couldn't remember if that had been established before oh mm-hmm when we first meet the Borg, when we were in the future, no, we were we the were other uh, jumped. Yeah, yeah. This was Q. Q jumped them far, far, far away. Yeah, and uh, and that's when she told us, uh, "I've seen the Borg. They destroyed my entire civilization, and we are super powerful, like way more powerful than humans. Oh, we gotta run." Yeah, right. And so uh, something starts rocking the ship, and it turns out the Borg are like carpet bombing the nebula trying to find the Enterprise and the Enterprise is getting hit uh, occasionally so they have to leave. There was a great timed moment here where they're just sort of sitting in silence staring at the nebula and then the whole thing rocks and it's just the right amount of time before you hear boop boop uh, Captain we need you <laughs> and you just see Picard like shift to like here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Calm before the storm. Yeah, we'll literally. This episode moves so quickly, but like I didn't mm. feel it was rushed at all. That it's it's a remarkable pacing they did with this. Really, and we've had the A plot B plot thing in the past, but this was so seamlessly intertwined that it really worked. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like now a scene from this plot line, now a scene from this. They're all interconnected and they're all playing off each other, and it's preparing for war. I mean, there's nothing no, more intense. The, it, Every scene, even if it's the B-plot, has this lace of impending doom, mm-hmm. like this overlying thing that that makes all the acting better. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, there are a lot of really cool Dutch angles that they're doing with the camera work, too, especially once we get into this like sort of uh, combat-y scene. They really switch up where they're coming from to be able to see Worf, Picard, and Riker in one shot. Mm-hmm. If I can recall from my cinema class in high school, <laughs> the definition of a Dutch angle is not at a oh. perpendicular 90-degree uh, orientation to the floor. Right. It's at a, a, a diagonal. People, people don't always know. Did you, oh, right. I did you that remember that? I got the term wrong. Did you remember that from high school, <laughs> no. or did you just read that? That looked like a no, memory. That was, that was, a, that memory. was a memory. That was a memory. <laughs> <laughs> Well, th- we actually see the Borg now for the first time in this episode, which is really interesting. It's like we're we're like three quarters of the way through, and now this thing we've been fearing the whole time is finally here. And th- and three is that the Borg coming? <laughs> yeah, right. And three Borg uh, transport onto the bridge, and things don't go well. Phasers are fired. Uh, we do some leaping and some punching. Uh, the they of course getting adapt thrown. to frequencies. We could, we do some getting thrown, and Picard <laughs> uh, gets jumped by a rogue, and stunned and transported away. Notably, two of them got transported away, and then one of them just disappeared, faded, like his yeah. corpse. Yeah, like it was a video game, and the, they didn't want to handle the rest of the ragdolls, so they just let it go. <laughs> I think the implication was they just dissolved like the useless. A drone. I feel like they just maybe forgot to transport that one in the special effects or something. I don't know. That oh, was a maybe, weird maybe. choice. No, I don't know. That's yeah. a, that's a lame reason. They don't they don't leave their dead. That's a notable thing about them. And so I guess they didn't. Well, because of course, if it was them, they would dissect it and use it for parts, so they can't leave it for another right. organization yeah. to do. Even though I've seen this episode and knew this was coming, like when 
Riker and Worf pull themselves up and are like, we need to pursue the ship because the Borg is fleeing are fleeing now. I was still like, this is this is tense. This is changed. Right? Like there was a definite temperature change when Picard is not there and abducted notably. Yeah. And Picard's been abducted like five times in this series, but this right. was different. And I love yeah. that tension. And we already know that. Um, well, then we actually see Picard on the Borg ship during this pursuit, don't we? Well, notably, uh, Riker assembles the full bridge crew uh, to come up, and then assign- is that's when the whole away mission thing happens of, like, who's going on the away mission. So then, yeah, Shelby actually leads, uh, who is it, Crusher, Worf, yeah. and, and Data, and Data. Mm-hmm. over to the ship. Uh, and that's when the first, isn't it, when the first, like, inner encounter? There's an excellent pep talk from Troy, who pulls Riker aside. It's still right. in front of everyone, but... Hey, buddy, (laughs) you're captain now. You you cannot also leave the bridge. I know you want to. I know it's your thing. I know you're so good at away missions, but you're in charge and you cannot leave. Yeah. Mostly she was like, do not leave that woman in charge of the ship. (laughs) I feel like Deanna wanted to be like... uh, computer playback Riker montage 001 and it's just a bunch of clips of him <laughs> telling Picard no yeah yeah well cause then if Shelby something happens to her it's Troy she's like right. the next in line to is take she? over so, oh no wait she hasn't oh. isn't up next it's gotta be Crusher. is it Crusher or data? or data well she's on the it's away data. mission they're both on the away mission <laughs> yeah there was a lot of very crucial people that, in the chain yeah. of command that were brought down but they're also All gone. we've seen yeah. it be data before Next yeah, but command. he's gone on the away mission. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying to yeah. establish. Yeah. But that's the way but it goes. In this sometimes. in this scenario, it comes down to the chain, and if they're all on the away mission, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the Eventually, away mission is just Wesley by himself. <laughs> <laughs> the away mission does happen after this Picard scene because we know what happens to Picard. Where so Picard is faced with the Borg, and the Borg, I guess, explained to him what they're doing, or he asked. Oh, them I it. see. Yeah. He says he says to them that he uh, this isn't a part of my culture. You won't get me to do this. And it says this is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. You mm. will be assimilated. You can't resist us as they always do. And of course, he has no choice in this. And we don't see him after that until yeah. the away mission uh, until the away team comes on board the the Borg cube and finds his communicator and his uniform and uniform in a, in a bureau, which you know. Nothing else was stored there. Really not great space usage by the Borg. But Everyone, look for a naked Picard. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was going to say. Keep it's like, your uh, eyes peeled. Commander, Picard's naked somewhere around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then Shelby comes in handy, too, and finds those nodes or whatever for the communication. <laughs> Someone was looking at them, was just staring at them. I want to say it was Crusher. And like then Data looked oh. at them, and then Worf looked at them. And I was just like, "What? OK, this better be really cool. And it's just like a laser triangle. quest kind of like triangle <laughs> light on the <laughs> I was underwhelmed by that prop, but they're yeah. power nodes that need to be destructed to disrupt the warp speed so that the Enterprise can keep up. Yeah, so they had made a big deal about this in the techno babble early on about them having decentralized power, right? But if mm-hmm. maybe if they cut off the connections between this power, that even like if the a Borg mosquito, sh- <laughs> like a mosquito bite, yeah, interesting <laughs> metaphor, Doctor. I agree. Yeah. Uh, so they do it. They they fire. She phasers. only had like three lines in this episode. <laughs> Let her have it. <laughs> she, she's barely in this. And actually, I believe Gates McFadden asked to be included in the away team uh, cast because she never got to fire a phaser. And, uh, and she, she still wanted did a chance it. to do that. No, she did. She, oh, she, okay. She hits one of the Borg. She asked Miller specifically. Oh. Hey, yeah. I never get to fire phasers. <laughs> 
please just send me. It nice. feels like I should be there. It does. Sure. And it was right. It was good. There's a lot of phaser firing. There is a whole, there are like 15 shots of different Borg being fired at and falling yeah. down before we they finally adapt. And they make a point. They're like, this will work maybe once or maybe <laughs> twice. And they're like, five, six, seven. Okay. They're getting it. They all had different phaser frequencies, which is a very important point. It was one of Shelby's big you know, I've been studying the Borg, and they will intercept our frequency and adapt to it. But if we all have different frequencies, then they'll have to adapt to them one at a time. So we'll get a few more hits in. Yeah. She's useful. I feel like the stunt team was like, all right, we want to use everybody at least once in the finale, okay? So we need everybody dressed up as a Borg, and everybody's going to take a fall. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Xander, what were you saying? I forget. Good. It's fine. <laughs> Did it have to go do with really good fluffy bangs? That's another Shelby. of Shelby's strengths. Yeah. yeah. She was very were... Glenn Close looking to me. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like that yeah, era yeah. of Glenn Close too, early 90s. Mm -hmm. Young Glenn. Yeah. 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 I feel like she maybe Glenn Close. Well, I'm making that up. I don't know. They're probably best friends. Probably. <laughs> you know how friends start to look alike, style their bangs together. <laughs> I've heard that. Well, speaking of looking alike, we notice that one Borg is notably familiar, and we <sighs> see Picard's white face and he turns and we see he I just got chills. has been assimilated. Terrifying. It really was a good delivery. The way that he slowly turns. Uh, it's just unlike other reveals that they've done different you know they're usually doing the wide shots and every time they take experiments with the camera it always pays off. Mm. Very very true. Totally agree. And this is the show to do it, right? They've established that not only can we be a medical drama or a mystery show or whatever, we can do horror too. Here's mm. the monster, and mm -hmm. it's your captain. Mm -hmm. uh, again, from Memory Alpha, the design of Locutus for this episode and the next was slightly more elaborate than the rest of the Borg suits used here. Uh, Michael Westmore recalled how an effective special effect was added to Locutus' helmet merely using a tiny, cheap laser. Quote, my son Michael, who did all the Borg electronics and the lights in the head, found this little laser that was only one inch long. We, mount we mounted it on Patrick Stewart as Locutus. There's that scene at the end of the first part of the Best of Both Worlds where Patrick turns his head and looks directly looks into the camera with the laser. We had no idea what was going to happen, but the phone rang. Rick Berman, who's one of the executive producers, saw it and said, oh, my God, what a great effect. Now, <laughs> that's an effect that could cost thousands of dollars if you wanted to. But this is what you do. It was done with just a cheap little laser. That and also it's could have caused, like, thousands of dollars <laughs> worth of damage to a camera or anyone's eyeball. <laughs> I think once wow. it hits a lens, it's diluted. But, like, I yeah. am so impressed by that because it's true. It's like some of the best stuff. Mm -hmm. It costs a dollar. It's, it's practical effects, and it's good use of practical effects. And I, Becca and I have learned this doing very uh, low-budget uh, set production <laughs> this sure. past year, and have made uh, my wife Katie has made some amazing things on our set designs. Yes. And the same thing applies. I remember, and I think everybody remembers that shot of it's him like a looking. Key shot. It's iconic. Yeah. And like, I thought it was from one of the movies because right. it's so good. <laughs> it, it, that's the thing. It's so freaking good, and it costs them a buck. And it's like, yeah. that's what, that's really what artistry is about is it's not always about the money. It's about the, the usage of what you have. That's why it is a common joke to say fix it in post because it is always thousands and thousands of times more expensive to try and do something with footage that's already been shot mm -hmm. versus having something that looks cool on camera. Yeah. Really hard to replicate. Yeah. Unless you're Marvel Studios. Yeah. And even then. <laughs> even then, so expensive. Yeah. <laughs> 
we're, but we get a lot of this tension in the last uh, few minutes of the episode where uh, the away team is forced to beam back after they realize they can't rescue Picard and things are not looking good. And so they get back onto the bridge and Riker tells Jordy to fire up the deflector dish, which is something we haven't mentioned is that they've, they've theorized that they could probably generate enough power from their deflector dish if they channel all everything from the engines and all systems of the ship to maybe direct enough power at the Borg ship to destroy it. Potentially Question destroying mark. themselves in the process? Yep. Yeah, so it would be like a suicidal hit. <laughs> so that's the context we're going into when the phone Heavy. rings and Picard's on the other Well, Locutus of Borg is on the other end, which is a name we are just now learning. Yeah. Shakespearean. Mm. It so is. Yeah. Feels fitting yeah. for this character. I love it. I love that uh, uh, Picard is such a Shakespearean figure because Patrick Stewart is. Well, and not only that, the Borg are pulling their knowledge of humans from this particular human, Jean-Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't he have a Shakespearean name? Because that's how he references Ooh, history. Good point. Ooh. He also kind of has like a historical, like, looking Borg assimilation. I th- mm. Like the abs? Like that yeah. feels like a like a Greco-Roman kind of like armor or something like that. And it's very sparse up here, whereas everybody else is really clunky looking, right? But yeah. he can be graceful while having his shoulders exposed and just that black shirt, I guess, is all it is. Yeah, you know? turtleneck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And the sparseness of his eyes, of like his headwear, like everybody looks like a modified scuba diver otherwise, right? And so right. he looks great. Probably the reveal... The turn yeah. was crucial, and whoever was directing asked for that simplicity mm-hmm. so they could do the reveal. But it also, they had explained it away in context. If this is what the Borg are looking for, a representative to be like a spokesperson for them to humans, they wouldn't want them to look like horrible monsters. You know what I mean? Yeah. They would want it to look as human as possible. Yeah. I have a question about the plan to blow up the Borg ship while blowing up themselves. Mm. Is this part of the engine that they needed the whole saucer for and they couldn't separate into their little battleship because they need the whole the thing for maximum power? There was yeah. a techno babble line that Riker says about needing the saucer's impulse engine power in case yeah. they need to get out. I don't know. But yes, you're, that's, that is right, yeah. And also, they ha- I think by the end, they had fixed it to a point where it, the Enterprise wasn't going to blow up if they fire this thing. Um, they, like got a, they said they got a distance away or something like that. So they weren't in a lot of danger, but the danger comes from, right. oh, the away team or the captain is on the other ship. Right. Actually, they would blow up a large section of the That's ship, but not is. the entire they, ship. Oh, no, this is a good point because they really utilize the counselor's ability. Troy steps up and is like, we need to evacuate certain parts. I'm on it. This is what mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's a great use of the counselor. Walk mm-hmm. calmly. Do not run. <laughs> yeah. This Only way. some people will die. <laughs> you're, you're panicking. I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> do not panic. <laughs> Well, they're about to panic because Captain Picard, as Locutus, uh, comes up on the viewer and tells them that resistance is futile, and he speaks for them. Oh, no! Uh End of episode to be continued! But that last shot, oh, that Mm. last shot, the music starts to swell. We get that kind of like pan, that dolly pan over to Riker, and he says, Mr. Worf, fire. Fire. And it goes black. Real quick, that was yeah. that's the best delivery of a cliffhanger I'd seen in a long time. Very, very. And good. like, imagine being in 1990, and be like, I have to wait like 
nine months, months to figure out what's gonna happen yeah. next. Hey, sometimes we had to wait two years in between Game of Thrones seasons. Oh, so. oh sure. But they really they they do this um, little dolly shot to come around and really close up on Riker and then really close up on Worf, mm. which is. I love I love when they utilize the close up as they're doing more and more because it is a more modern thing. And yeah. Shelby's in the background of that dolly shot yeah. too, and she's like looking at him intensely too. It's a really right. well crafted moment. Yeah. Uh, this was such a great way to end the third season. I was so happy. Da, da, da. Ugh. Yeah. Well, let's talk about our season. <laughs> yeah. um, first of all, thanks to everybody who's come along with us for these three seasons. It's such a wonderful thing to get to share it with you. Uh, and you know, please tell your friends to like, subscribe, and share, and that you can get early access on Patreon if you didn't already know that. And see us. Yeah, you can see us. <laughs> And there's links to all those things in the descriptions below. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and to Boldly Watch. We're going to do more of this real soon. We're going to take a little bit of a break here and come back in the fall. If you're listening to this in the far future, you can just hit next episode because we'll be right back. You won't know the well, date. That's how that works. <laughs> but yeah, let's go into the deep future. Let's go see the rest of this episode in several months. Okay, well, I mean, I don't think we really have a choice. I, I would <laughs> say that maybe resistance, resistance is, is futile. You're with me. We're never gonna get it. Fire. Never fire. Once. No. I knew it. Three you were both bored this whole we've time. Never. Fire. <laughs> Beck and I just explode. <laughs> the Xander show now. Bye. <laughs>